everybody. It's Sue Bidstrup with the Great Big Yes Podcast. Welcome. I'm glad you're here. The Great Big Yes Podcast is a place where I have conversations with people who have said yes to a greater calling on their lives, people who are living with passion and purpose. Today, I'm very excited to bring to you my friend, Carrie Strawn. She is a holy yoga sister and just an amazing human being. We've had many wonderful conversations and we're just growing in our relationship with each other as well, but she's just a kind, thoughtful, sensitive, wise woman. And so I'm excited for her to talk today. Her son Matthew has Down syndrome, and so today we're talking about parenting a child with special needs. I cry in this interview a few times um, because she reads a poem, and I think it will touch you as well, especially if you've had a child with any special needs, but I think we can all relate to a lot of this conversation um, just from parenting. And we, we touch on marriage and parenting and siblings and um, just all of the things that come with being a mom. And so I am just honored that she was willing to tell her story here and share Matthew's story with us. And I just, I know you're going to enjoy this and I know you're going to be inspired and encouraged by her as I have been. So here is Carrie. Enjoy. Awesome. Okay. So welcome, Carrie. How are you? Hi. Good morning, Sue. I'm well, thanks. How are you today? I'm great. I am so glad that you're here. I I love just having the opportunity to talk to you anytime. Like we were saying, I wish it was over a cup of coffee and, you know, sitting together. Um, But this is awesome. And I just really appreciate you coming on. I would love for you to just just to start, tell us about your family. Tell us about your kids and their ages, and then um, specifically just introduce us to Matthew. Okay. Well, I love, there's nothing better than talking about my family, right? My kids. We all love to do that. So thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for inviting me in um, to your couch, if you will, and to sit down and have this conversation. Um, So I'm married to Mark. Um, We live on Bainbridge Island, Washington, and we have four kids. Our oldest is 24, Kaylee, and then our son Matthew is 20. Matthew has Down syndrome, and then we have twins who are 17. And so he's um, kind of sandwiched in between these siblings, and that's benefited him quite a bit um, through his life. And so it's a, it's a beautiful uh, meshing, two girls, two boys, and um, we're quite blessed, yeah. All right, I love that, I love that. So I wanna, um talk specifically about Matthew. Just, um, I have questions. I know he's 20 now, but um, I'm interested in your story of motherhood of a child with special needs. And I just am wondering, kind of taking it back way to the beginning um, before he was born, something that I think is kind of interesting. I know with my own pregnancies where they would try to encourage me to have testing to see just to find out more about the baby and stuff. And I just am wondering, did you do any of that before Matthew was born? I was 34 um, when Matthew was born. So at that time, really the medical community didn't offer testing or didn't suggest testing until 35. And I'm not sure what that is today, okay. what doctors would recommend. But I know at that time, um, they didn't really recommend any testing. So we did not have any testing with Matthew. I had a very typical pregnancy. I mentioned I have an older daughter, so I'd been through one pregnancy, and I kind of knew what that felt like. It was an incredibly healthy pregnancy. Um, I remember I ran up until probably my seventh month. I was out still putting miles. Um, wow. I just felt really great. So the pregnancy really was no different that I knew of in any way. Okay. So then when he was born and they said that he had Down syndrome, tell me about that. So I went into um, labor maybe about two weeks prior to my due date and um, spent the night in labor. And Matthew um, really wasn't coming down in the birth canal very easily. And by morning time after being in labor all night, um, my doctor, who had also delivered my older daughter, and I had a long labor with her, very, very long labor, um, she came in and she said, we think that something's happening that we're not comfortable with. His heart rate is really fluctuating. He's kind of bobbing in and out of the birth canal. His head is kind of coming up and going down. And I know I let you go a long time with Kaylee for labor, but I really feel like we're in a situation where we need to take you in for a C-section. Okay. So they kind of whisked me in and had the C-section. And um, his birth, again, 
aside from that, afterwards they placed him on my chest. He looked beautiful. He had an, a high um, app score. It was like eight or nine and just came back to the room with me. Um, you know, they cleaned him up. Mark went with them to do the bath and all those typical things that you do. And he came back to the room and we really, we had him with us for about 24 hours, Sue, before anybody mentioned anything about Down syndrome. So, and, and when I look back on that, I feel um, that that was just an amazing time for us because we were just able to love on this baby without knowing any difference. He, he really didn't look like he had Down syndrome. He didn't have really any of the outward signs that you would see. My my doctor who delivered him and delivered my daughter said, oh, he looks just like Kaylee. And, you know, so it wasn't any different for about 24 hours. And then um, we noticed that he had some jaundice and then his heart rate or his heartbeat began to change a bit. And so the doctors became a little bit more nervous and they kind of whisked him away for tests. And it was through that process that they started to see that he had some of the physical characteristics of a baby born with Down syndrome. And so it really wasn't until about two days, you know, you're in the hospital for a while after a C-section where they started to notice that there might be some signs and some, some things showing them. Um, So that kind of started the process. And um, I remember the doctor coming in, Um, my doctor, actually, my pediatrician um, had gone out of town. So it was um, one of his office mates that came in and he didn't have the best bedside manner. So I remember him sort of just nonchalantly saying, you know, I'm sure you know the characteristics of a baby born with Down syndrome. And we think Matthew has maybe seven out of those 10. And I was, you know, sort of taken aback, like, well, why would we know that? Why would that be something that we would know? Right. Uh, and so that kind of started the process more. At that point, we were worried about his heart. So again, the Down syndrome really wasn't at the forefront of our minds because we just wanted to make sure he was going to be okay at that point. Right. That was sort of our intro into it. Um, How did you, I mean, I don't know if you can, I'm sure you can remember. (laughs) How did you feel? Like, were you, like you said, you were concerned about his heart. So they were monitoring his heart and, and yet you've got this guy sitting at your bedside telling you this news. I mean, was it confusing? Were you fearful? Like, do you remember how you were feeling at the time? I definitely remember being very confused. I remember feeling um, fearful, but again, not about the Down syndrome. Again, it was more about his heart. At that point, I knew nothing about Down syndrome. So I knew nothing about the many different um, health complications that people with Down syndrome can have. Um, And so I really... I was also just in this space of this is just my little baby and I'm just take care, taking care of a new baby. Like I just want to love him and cuddle him and yeah. just be in this, you know, place of awe of this little being who's just come into our lives. Um, so I don't really remember projecting out too much. I do remember calling home. My family's all from the Boston area. Mm-hmm. We were living in California and I remember calling home and, and really crying with my mom on the phone. It was more fear of something happening to him that yeah. maybe he wouldn't survive and that he'd be taken from us than oh. it was about, I, I really just felt like I'll handle the down syndrome. You know, yeah. that's, that's not going to be a problem. So, but there is a lot of mixed feelings. It does feel like um, you somewhat landed in a foreign place that it's mm-hmm. something that you don't know anything about. Um, and I, when we have a moment, so I'd love to share with you um, a poem or a, a writing called yeah. welcome to Holland yeah. written by a mom. Um, Let's that talks it. a little bit about what that feels like. So I'd love to share that with you because I think this really just speaks so loudly to what it feels like when the unexpected happens, right? Particularly with the birth of a new baby. Yeah. Let's see. So Emily Pearl Kingsley um, wrote this in 1987. And um, she goes on to say, I am often asked to describe the experience of raising a child with a disability to try to help people who have not shared that unique experience to understand it to imagine how it would feel. It's like this. When you're going to have a baby, it's like planning a fabulous vacation trip to Italy. You buy a bunch of guidebooks and make wonderful plans. The Colosseum, the Michelangelo David, the gondolas in Venice. You may learn some handy phrases in Italian. It's all very exciting. After months of eager anticipation, the day finally arrives. You pack your bags and off you go. Several hours later, the plane lands and this is funny. She has stewardess. Now I think we would say flight attendants come on and say, 
welcome to Holland. And you say, what do you mean Holland? I signed up for Italy. I'm supposed to be in Italy. All my life, I've dreamed of going to Italy. But there's been a change in the flight plan. They've landed in Holland, and there you must stay. The important thing is that they haven't taken you to a horrible, filthy place full of pestilence, famine, or disease. It's just a different place. So you must go out and buy new guidebooks, and you must learn a whole new language, and you will meet a whole new group of people that you have never met. It's just a different place. It's slower paced than Italy, less flashy than Italy. But after you've been there for a while and you catch your breath, you look around and you begin to notice that Holland has windmills and Holland has tulips. Holland even has Rembrandt. But everyone you know is busy coming and going from Italy and they're all bragging about what a wonderful time they've had there. And for the rest of your life, you will say, yes, that's where I was supposed to go. That's what I had planned. And the pain of that will never, ever, ever go away. Because the loss of that dream is very, very significant. If you, but if you spend your life mourning the fact that you don't go to Italy, you may never be free to enjoy the very special, the very lovely things about Holland. Oh, my gosh. Yep. <laughs> so I wanted to share that because I think that it, you know, it's just a beautiful way of understanding what yeah. parents may feel like when it's just different. It's different. It's not horrible. It's not, you know, and there are hard days. There are hard days. But at that moment when you're told that something's different than what you've expected, right? Yeah. It's, it's the moment that you've landed in Holland. Yeah. And that's not what you planned. Right. And you and I talked a little bit at the beginning of this call just about how, you know, Matthew has Down syndrome, but that kids with special needs, parents of kids with special needs can relate on so many levels. So when you're reading that, I'm even thinking of my own experiences with my daughter, just with um, ADHD and dyslexia and anxiety and just different things that we've had to work through. And, um, you know, it's hard, but sometimes you were wishing you were in Italy, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. And mm -hmm. so um, I love that it says at the end, like, if you're not careful, like you, you're going to miss all the beauty in Holland, <laughs> you know, yeah. but it takes it took me a while to get there. And so that's one of the reasons I think this is such an important conversation, because I love your perspective on it. And I do. I love the way that you see the way God has worked through it and that you give God the glory. And on that note, I have a question. Like when you were when Matthew was first born, were you following Jesus? Um, when Matthew was first born, I def definitely attended church. I I've believed in God my whole life. I was raised in a Catholic family, <clears throat> but I don't really think I knew Jesus or had a personal relationship with Jesus at that time. Mm -hmm. um, I definitely believed in God. I believed that it was God's plan for our life. Um, I never felt, you know, in some cases... There's parents who feel like perhaps they're being punished. And I think even in the Old Testament, mm -hmm. when you had a child born with different disabilities, it was deemed to believe that maybe it's something that you had done mm. and that it was sort of your your punishment or God's way of, of, um, of uh, I don't know, maybe placing wrath on you. Um, mm. So I feel like sometimes there are, families or parents that can feel like that's the case. I never felt that way personally. Yeah. I always sort of had the question of, of um, why. Um, and I will be honest in saying that the first, you know, six months I was just taking care of a baby. I was really just taking care of his needs. And there were some medical challenges. He was born with cataracts and then we had his heart valve um, problems. So we were definitely taking him to the doctors a lot. And he had a couple of surgeries in that first six months and um, I was just taking care of him the best I could. But I do think back in my mind, there was this little bit of why me? So yeah. It was sort of a pity, sort of a why me, Lord? Why did, why did you do this to me? Why did you put this in my life? Um, and it was probably around six months, seven months where I was walking on the beach by myself. I had an opportunity to just take a few hours to myself and I remember um, just walking along the ocean line and the beach is such a soothing place for me. And I had this moment where I just dropped to my knees and I said, Lord, please forgive me. Just forgive me. I, 
it's not why me, it's why me. Lord, show me. Show me mm-hmm. why you've placed this beautiful being in my life. Show me what you have for me in this. Show me where I need to heal. Show me where my heart needs to change. Um, and how can we bring glory um, to this beautiful little baby? And I think that was a pivotal shifting point for me in my faith. Yes. Um, where I started to really believe um, of the beauty of Holland, right? That's where it happened for me at that moment. It was, okay, open my eyes yeah. to the beauty of Holland and let me experience it fully through your, the lens of your eyes, Lord. I love that. How old was Matthew when that took place? Did you already say? I'm sorry. I, I think that was about seven months. I think yeah. he was about seven months old. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. So, and I, yeah, go ahead. I was just um, wanted to just add, Sue, that I also think that it's really different for parents. I think that a husband and a wife can process so different. So mm-hmm. I think that's important to mention because Mark wasn't taking care of this little baby. He wasn't, you know, immersed in the daily needs of just dealing with a new baby and a four-year-old. Um, and so he, you know, he was working full time. He didn't have as much bonding time with Matthew and I think for him, it was much, much more difficult in those first seven months. And I think the way that I was managing and he was managing were quite different. So I just speak to that because it's very real. I think sometimes the strain that any new baby can have on a marriage, right? And on a couple, but certainly when there's extra challenges involved. Yes. I'm so glad you mentioned that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and men have a different way of processing as well. But like you said, if he's not, you know, they're, they're not in the... Even with teenagers now, I see that, you know, they don't hear all the details of all the things <laughs> that I hear, <laughs> um, yeah. right? So there's just a different relationship that they have. But yeah, I could see where that would be a strain on the marriage as well. I mean, that is worth noting for sure. Um, parenting is hard, <laughs> you know? Parenting um, is hard. It is. And marriage is hard as well. And so um, putting those two things together. But honestly, that's I feel like God just uses those two things just so powerfully to transform us. Um, For sure in my life, that's been my fertile ground for transformation where I've needed to really um, take a good look at myself, you know, and, and heal myself in ways that so I could come to those relationships as a mother and as a wife um, from a place of love and grace and all of that. And having said that, like, what do you think, um, how would you say God has transformed you um, through being Matthew's mom? Well, we could spend a long time on that. Yes. <laughs> I'll try to touch on the most, yeah. the, the, the most important or, or um maybe the biggest ways that's very um, relevant to me or uh, of, that people could actually see um, in what sort of shifted and changed. And I think that primarily, um, oh, and let me just say, like, that's still happening, right? That's still happening for me. Yeah. As he grows and gets into his young adult years, like, there's just still things that are happening all the time. But I would say that probably primarily for me is I was very much of a type A um, personality mm-hmm. or very much of a of a doer of a um, person who sort of presented a package on what life looked like from the outside um, my house was always very clean um, my daughter was always dressed in the most adorable little outfits um, yeah. we just sort of had this what would look like a pretty picture perfect um, life and so when Matthew was born um, what God showed me is that none of that was really important. Yeah. That none of that really mattered and that um, we live in an imperfect world mm-hmm. and that I didn't need to keep up that facade anymore. And it was actually quite a relief for me to be able to let go of that. Yeah. Um, it, it was, uh, it gave me permission to slow down, yeah. to um, really focus on what was important to, to let go of the little things. I think my husband and I, after we both sort of adjusted um, and, and sort of started to process some of the feelings, I would say probably around when Matthew was about a year old. I remembered there was just a softening. There was a softening between the two of us where we weren't so nitpicky about so many things anymore. The little yeah. things, you know, don't sweat the small stuff, mm-hmm. really became um, real for us. And it just changed our perspective on 
what defines success yeah. in our lives. Um, and we began to see people different um, and unique. I shouldn't even say different. We began to see people through the lens of God's eyes, but also as, as unique. We were immersed in now a whole new community in our lives. We became very involved in parent support groups. I ran the support group, the Down syndrome support group in my area in LA for a while, and my husband took a job, uh, position on the board the yeah. um, Down Syndrome Association of Los Angeles, and we became immersed in a world that we never would have been introduced to, really, right. maybe, but at that point um, hadn't been immersed in. And I'm so grateful for that alone because we met so many wonderful people, so many yeah. really, really great people. And um, it just gave us an opportunity to notice how we we talked a little bit earlier in the conversation about this idea of othering like how do we other people how do we look at other people and already have some preconceived ideas or notions about what their life is like or what the quality of their life is like yeah um and so it really we became pretty um sensitive to that and it's really enhanced just our interactions with other people right just yeah um other people in general well, I love that. And, you know, we ta- we did talk before we started recording just about language, the language around um, children with special needs. And, and I was saying, you know, sometimes I feel naive or like I might offend because I'm not sure exactly what language to be using about certain things. Like, um, you know, I know with my daughter, they stopped calling it a learning disability. It was um, a learning difference. Um, and so I was asking you, do we still say developmental disability? And you mentioned that, you know, there's even some new wording out called like differently abled. And and so I think sometimes um, we worry so much about kind of the language that we don't ask the questions, like we don't get to the heart because we're, we're afraid almost. Like, um, I don't know if that makes sense, but I just feel like I want to give people permission <laughs> um, to not know. Like just to learn, you know, to not know and to ask questions and and to be open to kind of learning um, without othering. Um, and, you know, like you said, you don't want Matthew to be defined by the fact that he has Down syndrome. So as a... Yeah, I think we talked about um, how sometimes people can, the, the, the disability can come first before the person. Yes. So using the example of saying um, that... Down syndrome boy, you know, mm-hmm. rather than saying the boy Matthew who has Down syndrome, yeah, you know, where they don't, we don't see people for their for their disability. That's not how we're identifying people for their disability. Um, I think about Sue as you talked about that. I think about a couple of things. One is that I remember when Matthew was young, he wore glasses, and kids at the playground, um, I remember would would look at him a lot and kind of stare at him a lot. And I really, as as I look back, I think it was more about his glasses than it was about him having Down syndrome because I don't even know if they would have known. But they knew that maybe developmentally he wasn't maybe running the same way as them or has struggled with a little bit more. And and um, but they would just come up and say they would say to me, you know, what's wrong with him? What's wrong with his eyes? Yeah. How come he doesn't do this? How come he doesn't do that? Like they were so forthcoming about it. And it was really easier to work with and easier yes. to deal with. First of all, I love kids and they just, they have no filters, right? They just yeah. kind of stay with what's on their mind and I appreciate that. <laughs> and it's beautiful in so many ways, but it, it was more the adults who would sit on the side of the playground and kind of stare and look yeah. out of the corner of their eye or they'd avert my gaze, right? Yeah. As I looked at them. And so I would just say that, you know, ask questions. Don't be afraid to ask. Don't be afraid to say, what's offensive? Is this offensive? If I say, you know, what is the terminology that we're using now? Hey, tell me about your son. I'd love yeah. to know more about him. You know, it's it's really good to have people ask questions. You know, I didn't know until I knew. I probably said offensive things. I had no idea about the world of Down syndrome or special needs um, people until my son was born. So we don't know until we know. And I think it's really just, for me personally, I can say as a parent, I love when people ask me questions. Yeah. And are just very upfront. Yes. About their curiosity. Yeah. Yeah, good. Thank you for that. I love that. Um, okay, so 
One of the things I definitely want to mention and talk about or have you kind of talk about is that you're going to be teaching or you are teaching for Holy Yoga adaptive training. Can you tell people what that is? Adaptive Holy Yoga training um, is basically a teacher training that people can take to learn just some more tools um, and some more ways to make yoga accessible to people of all needs, really, because I think as yoga instructors, we're always adapting our classes to help people fit the poses to meet their body rather than trying to fit the body into the pose, right? So we're always trying that to do that for all students. But people with um, particularly physical and cognitive disabilities, you know, they just need a little more um, adaptation to the poses. Uh, they, you can make pose, any pose accessible to anybody. Um, so it's this training that we talk a lot about different language that you can use, how to set up a classroom so that it's um, really inviting for people with different abilities, um, how to modify poses on the floor, in chairs, using all kinds of props and blocks. Um, the training also entails a couple of um, Bible studies, which are fantastic, just to talk about like what does the Bible say about people with different abilities. What does the Bible say about healing and how healing takes place when we talk about maybe physical healing, but it's more of an emotional or a heart healing. You know, we talk about those elements as well. So it's a really well-rounded training that if you're interested in bringing yoga, holy yoga, to a population that I feel like really, really benefits in so many ways, just even socially, having Mm -hmm. a social environment where people come together, sometimes there's not a whole lot of opportunities in different communities yes. to uh, provide social settings. Um, and then people who have had physical disabilities, you know, for them to be able to reconnect with their bodies in a way that maybe they haven't because of that. Um, yes. So it's such a need in our world. Um, and so it's a beautiful way to equip yoga teachers to go out into po- these populations and invite people in to have the experience of holy yoga. Oh, I love that so much. Now, just on a practical note, if someone wanted to take that training, but they weren't trained in holy yoga, but they were a yoga teacher trained somewhere else, can they still take the training? Yes. Okay. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. As long as they have a basic yoga certification from another school of yoga, it's perfectly fine. Yeah. I love that. Awesome. Well, I think that's just amazing. And I think it's amazing to see how God has used your own personal experience and now is really using you to kind of, you know, to teach this training and to really um, equip people, um, right? Because you have, it's, it's, he's using your experience um, and you're using it and it's just so beautiful. And that's, I, I think one of the biggest things we talk about on Great Big Yes is kind of how people's own life experience has turned into their ministry a lot of times. Um And that's just, that's one of the things that I know God does. He transforms us through it so we can go out and encourage other people. And that brings me to my next question is I was thinking about how, you know, I have some friends that have kids with special needs and, and I just was thinking, what would you recommend um, if a mom was just starting out on this journey? And, and I don't, I know there's like practical recommendations. I don't mean that as much, but what would you say to her? If you were there with her, you know, when that, when she found out that her baby had special needs, what, is there something that you would say to her? Um, well, I had the opportunity to, to, um, about five years ago, uh, was invited by somebody who worked at our local hospital here to become a parent liaison. And what that meant was, um, to be sort of the first call of contact for a family who um, had a baby born with Down syndrome, specifically with Down syndrome. Mm -hmm. And they had the opportunity to phone me and I could either just talk with them on the phone or if they wanted to visit at the hospital, I would bring information to them. I have like a packet of information and go and meet them at the hospital. So I've had experience sort of with that first line of contact with a new family. And um, as I said, everybody experiences this different. And so we need to give people space to process and experience the way that they need to. But I think my first um, response would be one, just to, to love on the baby 
you know, to just to just love on that baby and yeah. um, and to just um, talk about not, not like reading too much information, like not like delving so far into learning everything you can yeah. because it can be really overwhelming, right? Like there's mm-hmm. a lot of information out there. And I think just the, the higher incidence of health issues for people with Down syndrome can be really overwhelming. Yeah. So I would say just really try to enjoy being with this little baby. Certainly if there's medical things that need to be attended to, that's going to take your focus and that's going to be your, your first line of concern. So you're going to just do that the best that you can. Um, but more so just not to read too far out. Like just take one step at a time Yeah. and just learn about this new little person that's been placed in your life. I would say also just to reach out. Um, I know that we had a very, very um, active support group. Mm-hmm. So it's really great to reach out and find support from your community. Um, I would say find a really, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I would say find a, find a doctor or a team of doctors who maybe have a little bit more forward thinking. Uh, Believe it or not, there are still some doctors out there that have their own opinions and beliefs about people with with special needs and maybe put some limits on what that person's capabilities will be or what their life will look like. Mm. So find a good team of doctors that really believes wholeheartedly um, that no matter what it is that you're facing or what disability your child has, for us specifically with Down syndrome, that they just don't put any limits, um, that there's there's a whole lot of expectations for a really full and really wonderful life for awesome. people. Um, so find a good team of doctors. Um, and as we talked about earlier, you know, there might be a need for having some counseling um, just for your marriage, you know, to be able to talk about what's going on and be able to process some of that. So certainly counseling is always a really good option if you're feeling like there's a lot of struggle yeah. happening. Yes. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. And of course, I love that you're a parent liaison. I love that. You would be so good at that. And we need that, right? We need other people who can encourage us, who've walked this path, who understand, who we can say the ugly things to about like our marriage or whatever. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like where we're struggling um, and they understand. And so I love that. So that's through the hospital that they provide that? That's through That's through a local hospital. And that's it was nice. very challenging to get that started because of the HIPAA laws, mm-hmm. right? So there's there's a lot of, of legal um, jargon. I happened to be introduced to somebody through my community who was working as a social worker at the hospital. And I'm not sure how she did it, but she (laughs) angled her way in because she felt there was a need, certainly a need for parents to have that first point of contact. And she would say, you know, I'm a social worker and the nurses and the doctors, like we all certainly want to help and be there, but we don't know. That was what she was saying. Like, I don't know what that feels like. I don't have a child with Down syndrome. I don't have a child with special needs. So wouldn't it be beautiful to have somebody available who, as you said, Sue, like knows and has been there and has had the struggles and it, it's okay to be real yes. and to cry and to talk about fears and anxieties and the unknown and have um, that available. So the hospital was just purchased by another um, medical um, institution. So they're, they're questioning it now. Okay. So I'm kind of in a holding pattern as to what's going to happen because their legal department needs to approve it. So oh, we'll okay. see what happens with that. But, um, okay. and, 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 Really, it was for parents. It only if they wanted to, you'd never force that on parents. But if they wanted to, um, it right. was available. Oh, yeah. gosh. I just think that's so important. I think that's beautiful. And um, I hope that that can stay. That's something to definitely pray for. Um, okay, so I want to ask about Matthew because he's 20. How is he? What's going on with him? What's he up to now? He graduated from the high school last um, June. And this year, he in September, he started um, a program called uh, West Sound Tech, which is, um, it's about a 40-minute bus ride away, but he's in the culinary arts program there. Awesome. So he gets on the bus at 7 in the morning and goes to West Sound Tech, where he's learning to um, be in a kitchen, to do food prep, and um, all, whatever it entails, being within a kitchen or a restaurant environment. Um, so he's, um, gaining some amazing, amazing skills for yeah. having a job, perhaps in the restaurant industry. Um, he loves to cook 
he loves to be in the kitchen. So awesome. Um, he does that, and then he comes back on the bus at about noon, and then he goes to uh, an adult living pro- program here on uh, Bainbridge Island where we live, and that's offered through the school district for an extended two years after graduation okay. or until um, a person turns 21. So he will just have one year in that program because he'll be 21 in the summer. So he goes there, and they work a lot on just daily living. They do their own grocery shopping, and then they do their meals, and they balance their checkbook, and they work on resumes and uh, interviewing skills, just kind of getting them prepped for, you know, moving out into the world. And so he lives at home with us, and he goes to those programs. He's very active in Special Olympics. Um, He's he's skied for about the last seven years with Special Olympics. He does basketball. My husband coaches the Challenger Baseball League, so he does baseball. Um, So, you know, from the outside looking in, you'd see that Matthew's life looks very full. He does Capernaum through Young Life. Um, He's very actively involved in that as well. But I think probably if I were to be honest, the biggest struggle is friendships. That um, at 20, you know, it starts to shift. I think when our kids are younger in the elementary years, he had a lot of friends even just within our neighborhood, he was always out playing with everybody else in the neighborhood. And he was invited to all the birthday parties and he played on a lot of the sports teams that were just regular sports teams, right? Like he was involved in that because he's pretty physically able. And it wasn't probably until he hit high school that we started to see that there becomes a gap, right? There just starts to be a bigger gap. And there was just less inviting and less involvement. And that comes with, um, some sadness for him. He's very aware of it and he has kind of sandwiched in between these three siblings. So he sees yeah. what their life looks like. Yeah. And so he knows um, the difference. And so that's really our biggest struggle now is to find just deep, meaningful friendships for him. He can go to all these social groups, but like to just have a friend over to hang out with or to talk on the phone with or to go to a movie with. Yeah. Um, is, is a little bit challenging. And some of that's just geographical where we live. There's not just, there's not a huge population yeah. of people. Um, but it's also just part of living in the world Yeah. of um, sort of this, again, I just call it this gap that happens as mm-hmm. people begin to get older. So that's always something that we're working on and trying to create or facilitate for him. Yeah. And that would probably be the biggest challenge. Yeah. And then I wanted to ask you, because you mentioned there's not a lot of people where you live. Um, so you were in L.A. when he was younger. When did you move to Bain- Bainbridge Island? We've been here since 2004. So when he went into first grade, okay, we moved so to Bainbridge Island. He did his yeah. schooling there. Did they have mm-hmm. a lot of intervention and help for him as far as accommodations? Um, I would say that probably California was better uh-huh. for early intervention than here in Washington. Um, it's something that parents, that's, that's a whole nother world, right, yeah. to enter into, yeah. is needing to advocate for your child when they're in school and really getting what they need. And that's probably going to be a challenge anywhere across the country. Um, yeah. Certainly, I've learned how to be an advocate. Yeah. And, um, and I think it's an important thing to note, Sue, too, that I think as parents, sometimes we can get into some adversarial situations with our kids, um, particularly in the public school districts, right? Yeah. It sometimes it becomes somewhat of, of a fight. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's really important that we try to do the best we can to, to be really strong advocates because we are really at that point probably this child's biggest and only advocate. Yeah. But also that we try to work together as a team, that we try to remember like what it is that we're trying to accomplish yeah. and, and who's at the center right, of what we're trying to accomplish. Yeah. Because I think we can lose sight of that and we can lose sight of like what are our rights and what are, you know, what they should be getting. And, and so I see a lot of that in within parents with the school district. And so my, again, if, if you talk about like what would I say to other moms or dads or I would say like do the best you can yeah. to work with your district. Do the yeah. best you can to try to get the services that you need to advocate for your child, but try not to get into um, this like fighting mode because it does make it more difficult when you get into that mode. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, we went down that path as well, but we were blessed because our school district was really on top of it and they were, you know, our principal of our grade school had 
her specialty was special needs. So she was just all about mm. understanding learning disabilities mm. and all of that. And so we had a lot of help, but I have heard stories of people in districts where there isn't a lot of understanding or cooperation, but yeah, I mean, the ultimate goal is for the child to learn and the teachers want that yeah. and the administrators want that as well. And it's um, challenging if you're not offering each other some grace in that process, because it is, it can be um, overwhelming and confusing for like all parties involved. <laughs> it's like a for whole nother level. Involved and we, we often sometimes in that case have to be the educator right? Like kind of the hat turn. Yes. We have to be the educator. We know our children best. Yes. We know what their needs are. So we have to be the educator. Um, and I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to downplay the challenges because they're there and they're very, very real. Yeah. Matthew's high school years were fairly rough and we had to be in there a lot um, yeah. trying to get his needs met. And so it will change too from school to school yeah. and, and different age, age groups. Um, so it, it is a challenge. Um, but I'm just, my advice would just be do the best you can. Yes. Yeah, to try to work together as a team. Well, I love that. And thank you. Yeah. And I wish we could talk. I mean, I feel like, yeah, if we went down that road, that's a whole nother phone call. That's a whole nother phone call. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just love that you're willing to um, just come on and tell your story and, and talk about Matthew. And I do want to touch on your other kids before we hang up. I just want to, um, I would love for you to just tell me, like, I know they love Matthew. How, I mean... Do you feel like it's made them, having a brother with Down syndrome, I'm assuming would make them more compassionate and understanding and all of that. But like, I would love to hear how you feel um, Matthew has affected his siblings. Thank you for asking, Sue. That's so important to talk about that because it's very real, real for siblings too, to go through struggles yes. and, and to have difficulty trying to understand. And again, I think in the earlier years, it really didn't present itself. It, it was, he was just their brother and he just went along with them and did all the things that they were doing. And, and they didn't really question it very much. Um, and it really wasn't until they came into more of the junior high and the teen years. Yeah. I think um, that at that point, they do start to see maybe how other people are looking at their brother or other people are, are questioning, you know, what's going on with him or, it just becomes a little more of a social yeah. struggle mm -hmm. for them. And so I've seen with all our kids sort of that a little bit of a separation, a little bit of a, I need my own space, particularly with uh, Matthew's brother, mm -hmm. who's just a couple years behind and only one year difference in high school, right? Through their school years, they're only a year apart. And there came a point where he really would just say, mom, can, is it okay if I just go with my friends today? Yeah. And, you know, that, that came with some guilt. Right. So it came with him feeling badly for asking that. But yet we knew that it, it was what he needed. So I do think it's really, really important that we um, there's a lot of books out there as well for siblings. There's yeah. support groups for siblings to really talk honestly about um, the fact that, yes, they love their brother. There's no doubt about it. They go to the ends of the earth for him. But some days it's a struggle for them. And some days they don't they feel resentful about the amount of time that he's taken from us, the amount of time that has been maybe, you know, shifted away from them to, yeah. to, to deal with his needs. Um, and so that's very real. And I think it's important that we have real conversations about it. So there's fine, there's a balance, right? There's finding a balance in everything right. and allowing them to process and feel. I remember with, with um, his brother, there was an, an occurrence when he was probably in third grade where one of his classmates was really just kind of picking on him and started calling him names, um, and that were really offensive to him mm -hmm. having a brother with special needs. And I remember him coming home and, and being so hurt by it. But at the same time, he would say, like, I just wish my brother didn't have Down syndrome. Why does my brother have to have Down syndrome? So they go through that as well. Yes. Right. The same kind of grieving process um, mm -hmm. that parents do. So it's important. But overall, I mean, they absolutely adore him. And um, as I said, we go to the ends of the earth for him. And as they get older, with my oldest daughter, who's 24 now, I see that there's a closeness there um, and that she has asked to have guardianship of him um, mm -hmm. specifically, if anything were to happen to my husband and I, um, that wow. she really, really wants to care for him and take care of him. So that's, there's sort of a coming back around oh, yeah. once you get through those awkward teenage years, right? There's a little yeah. bit, I can see there's a little bit of a coming back around. Yeah. Um, well, and I think and that's you, beautiful to watch. It's beautiful. And I think what you said earlier is, 
you know, I, how, you know, I asked you how God has transformed you through it and you said it's still happening. And I think mm -hmm. that's what, um, sorry, we have to remember with the siblings too, you know, he's still working. We're all in process. Um, and so he's still growing us through all of these experiences. And we don't always process what happens in our childhood until we're older, right? So we're all still processing. And, um, but I love yeah. that. I love that as a mom that you get to see that, that you get those glimpses like where your daughter says that and you get to see like, because as a mom, I think a lot of times we just, I don't know, at least for me, I just wonder, is everyone okay? Like, is, that, is everyone yeah. going to turn out okay? Um, and yeah. so when you have those moments, um, that's really beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And it's an important piece. Yeah. Um, of, a, of, of the dynamics of a family for sure. Yes. yes. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, I don't want to hang up, but I think we're going to need to, um, end our conversation and I would just love to, would you end us in prayer? Would you just pray for, um, parents of children with special needs? Do you feel comfortable with that? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Lord Jesus, um, I thank you for this opportunity, Lord, that um, I've been able to just speak just upfront and honestly and just, just enter into conversation um, with Sue. And um, Lord, I just, I just, this word unique, Lord, just keeps coming up to me um, that, that you don't treat us all equally, Lord. You treat us all uniquely, that we were all uniquely designed um, in your image from that first breath that you breathed into us um, and that you just relish in, in our uniqueness um, and that your love for us is infinite and your love can never be measured, Lord, never be measured on our abilities um, or our disabilities. Like just, it can never be measured, Lord. And we know that. And we, um, and we would just wish that and pray that um, others, would also know that that um, that 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 other parents would um, immediately know that um, that you are a god of creativity and that your creation will be unique. Yes. Um, that every hair on our heads is different, and that we, that we may share some um, similarities, Lord, and that we may. Um, be the same in some ways that we are truly all unique and that we are all gifts um, of your creation, Lord. Uh, I pray for um, those who are struggling, Lord, for struggling um, wherever they are in this process. Um, I pray for parents and families, uh, Lord, that may um, be in a situation today, right at this very moment, Lord, where they are landing in Holland, Lord, and they expected a trip to Paris, Lord. And I just pray that you would, that you would comfort them and that you would guide them um, and that you would bring them a, a profound sense of, of peace um, in, in, amongst the circumstances, Lord. Amid their circumstances, they would feel your peace and that they would know that you are with them. Yeah. Um, and that, that you, more than anybody or anything, um, Love, love, love their child. Yeah. Um, and Lord, I pray for the families. I pray for siblings and how they uh, process perhaps um, having a brother or sister with, with disabilities, Lord, or different abilities. Um, I pray that there would be open and honest conversation and communication within families. And I pray that, um, that others would... Um, meet them in whatever needs that they have as families as they step into this maybe new world that they had no idea they were moving into or that the community would just surround them in love and comfort and that their needs would be met in whatever way they need. Bring the medical professionals that are needed right into their lives. Um, bring, bring community, bring church family, bring friends, bring neighbors. Um, and, and Lord, I'd ask that people just would, would open up conversation, that they would be very real in their interaction, that they would ask questions and be really curious um, as to what the family is going through and, and how to meet their needs the best they can, Lord. Um, surround them yeah. um, with people, Lord. Surround them with people and let others enter into the conversation with them. 
So Lord, I thank you again for this opportunity for the, um, the ability to just talk about real things, real life things that are happening today. Yeah. Um, and to be able to share a part of, um, to share a part of my life, to share uh, my son, Matthew, who is an absolute unique gift from God, um, as are my other three children, to share um, some of the struggles that um, parents may face, um, but to also share the beauty um, and the wonder and um, the amazing, amazing gifts that we receive as a result of um, having a child with different needs um, that, yeah, we grow, we grow, Lord, we, we, we grow um, out of these deeper places and our hearts are changed. And uh, we thank you for that. We thank you for the ability to be held over the fire a little bit and to check our own hearts and to sort of be remolded um, in a way that would, uh, that would really just speak to your glory, Lord. Um, so Lord, help us open our eyes as we walk out from this conversation and into the world to see um, the uniqueness of every being that we come across, Lord, and to look at them through the lens of your eyes. Really, I would just ask that for all of us, Lord, to be able to do that. And it's a challenge, but that we would be able to do that in our daily lives, particularly um, right now in the world today. Um, And that we would be willing to listen and willing to have conversations, even the tough conversations. So, Lord, we praise you. We thank you. It's in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Oh, thank you. That was so beautiful, Carrie. You are a gift. You really are. You're a blessing. So thank, thank you. you, Sue. <laughs> thank you. you, Sue. And as are you, as are you for, for having these conversations and inviting people in to have these conversations. Um, it's really a beautiful thing that you're doing. So thank you. Thank you. Oh, my gosh.